like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com Hi, this is Diane Student, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, Restitution. If you enjoyed the story, you can find out more about me at my website, dianeverse, D-I-A-N-V-E-R-S-E dot com, or more about my podcast that I co-host, History Ghost Bump, at historyghostbump.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. The building stands here again, just as it did 20 years ago this very night. My mind flashes back and remembers hiding in the bramble bushes, too frightened to notice that the points of the branches were clawing at the skin of my face and hands. My hands... A genetic aberration had left my fingers fused to each other with only my thumb free to work alone, so my hands were basically flippered appendages. They were the reason I had crouched in among the bushes, straining my ears and startling at every snap of a twig or crunch of gravel beneath the shoes of Billy Bratton. Come out, freak boy, I remember Billy yelling near my hiding spot. I eased myself out from the brambles and slid over behind a large live oak trunk just as the leaves of the bush thrashed about from the bash of a strong object. I knew then that Billy still carried the thick stick he had picked up as we both ran headlong into the darkness of the woods. I had stayed late at school reading a book in the library. It was twilight when I started for home, and deep shadows cloaked the fact that Billy was waiting for me on the path. I nearly urinated on myself when he leapt out in front of me. His dark eyes threw off a crazed gaze, and I knew that I'd better run. Billy lived to torture me. I seemed to be his special project. The bruises he carried on his body were testament to the fact that he was dealing out the same kind of cruelty being shown to him. And this evening, his bullying was at a fever pitch. Before I could run, he had punched me hard in the nose. I could feel the sticky blood still curling around my pursed lips as I held my breath behind the tree trunk. Didn't your mother tell you never to run into the woods at night, flipper boy? Billy crowed. People die in the woods at night. I chanced a glance from behind the tree. Billy stood with his back to me, ten feet away and to my left. The stick he held was big enough to kill me if he hit me enough. I moved down onto my belly and pulled myself over the damp, musty earth, through pine needles and decaying leaves. I pulled myself behind a long line of thick mulberry bushes. I tried to press my small body under the bushes, 
and found that even my minuscule body was too big for that plan. I glanced over my shoulder, deeper into the woods to see if I could make a break for a better hiding spot, and was gobsmacked by what my eyes beheld. In the middle of this dense forest sat a nine-story tall building. The very building that I am once again standing before right now. It clearly did not belong here, and I have never seen it before. The architecture was exquisite in its outer rudiments. The windows were arched and the stonework had elegant curls and lines. Gargoyles dotted the top of the structure, and in the darkness, they seemed almost as though they were moving ever so slightly. The front entrance had muted lights on either side of the door. Those were the only lights on, except for the light glowing from two windows, one on the second floor and the other on the ninth floor. I thought to myself that if I could make it to the building and I could get inside, then I would be safe. And so I ran without thought as to how easily Billy would now be able to find me. Gravel sprayed out from under my feet and I knew he would hear me. I'm going to get you, freak boy, Billy bellowed. Then he was running after me and gaining ground fast. I reached the door and my fused fingers curled around the door pull that felt cold as ice. I pulled hard and fell back as the door refused to budge. I glanced over my shoulder as sweat slid into my eyes. The fluid stung and clouded my vision. My heart hammered in my chest. I barely had time to register the thought that Billy seemed unaware that a rather tall building was standing in the middle of the forest. I jumped up, grabbed the door pull again, and whispered, Please? I strained with all my scant strength and the door thrust outward. I sprinted inside and then flew forward as Billy barreled in after me, tackling me to the ground. I bounced against the cool tiles of the floor, prepared to take the beating I knew would soon begin. What the? Billy sputtered. I twisted my head around and saw that he was on his feet and glancing around. What the hell is this place? Where did it come from? He was backing away from me toward the front entrance. I rolled over onto my back and pushed myself up into a seated position. We were inside the lobby. Dust clung to the furnishings so thick I could see it in the dull light that reflected through the windows from the moon overhead. Without the grime, the lobby could very well be glamorous, and probably was at one time. Cobwebs hung like thin ropes from the fancy overhead lights, and the furniture appeared to be fashioned from expensive fabric. The couches were plush, and the chairs were heavily cushioned. I wondered if we were inside a derelict hotel. Except for the shallow breathing of myself and Billy, the building was silent. The silence was broken by the ding of an elevator bell. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. Became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy
fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your fate. The doors of an old-style elevator slid open to my right. The interior was dark, and then a soft glow began to emanate from deep inside. I pulled myself upright, completely forgetting that Billy was still in the lobby with me. My mind screamed for me to run, but my feet shuffled forward as though the elevator were calling to my body. Billy's feet scraped the floor behind me. We both seemed inexplicably drawn to the elevator. The interior glow grew brighter as we neared the doors. I stepped around the edge of the doors, peered inside, and was mesmerized by the vision before me. A young girl with blonde pigtails was standing in the corner. She wore a purple dress that was not something any girl I went to school with would wear. Her head was bowed, and she stared at an object she held in her hands. It took me a minute to realize that the object was a music box. She turned a crank, and the music softly chimed. Or, it seemed to chime. But I would swear the music seemed to originate within my own head. As if the box were not creating the sound, but my mind was forming the notes. Or could the music box actually play the music inside my head? To this day, I am not sure what the answer is to that question. The young girl lifted her head and calmly informed us, Hello, I'm Victoria. Would you boys like to take a ride on my lift? I stepped forward into the lift, and Billy followed. Very good, Victoria said. Billy, push the number two on the panel, please. How do you know who I am? Billy stammered. I had never heard my tormentor sound scared, and I took a bit of glee from this new revelation. Push the number two button, Billy, Victoria repeated with more authority. Billy obeyed, and the elevator creaked upward. Gears sparked, and for a moment I envisioned myself dying in a fiery crash of the elevator car. We arrived at the second floor with a loud ding, and the doors slid open. The second floor was cloaked in darkness. Not even the moon shone through the windows. And I wondered where the light had gone that I had seen from outside. Victoria brushed past me and grabbed Billy's hand, pulling him out of the box. She turned to me and said, Toby, push the number nine button. I'll meet you there. I stood dumbfounded for a moment as the blackness seemed to swallow Victoria and Billy. I could make my break now. All I have to do is push the lobby button and run outside. Perhaps the girl will flay Billy alive, and I would never have to worry about him again, I thought. I stood in the elevator box. The quiet was unnerving. And then I heard a muffled growling. There was some moaning. The sounds were guttural. The strains of these hellish sounds seemed distant, but they grew louder, indicating that whatever was making these noises was getting closer. The lift box trembled slightly, 
I braced myself in the corner until I felt hot breath on the back of my neck. The walls of the box seemed to become immaterial. I realized then that this lift box was like a cage and only half a solid wall. The upper part of the wall was formed from bars and eyes were peering in from outside those bars, eyes that glowed a hideous green and seemed to ooze with a pus-like material. The pupils were large black orbs. The smell of decay entered my nostrils. I had smelled such a scent once in my life. A dead raccoon beside the road had piqued my curiosity, and when I prodded it with a stick, it gave off the same stomach-turning noxious odor. I slid down to the corner of the box, bowed my head against my knees, and wrapped my lobster paws around my head, hoping to muffle the hellish cries of whatever monsters were encircling the elevator. Push the number nine button, I heard Victoria order in my mind. I was frozen by fear and unable to move. I felt pathetic, and I began to cry. I was a freak, a weakling, and all the things that mean kids had called me. Remembering that moment now, as I observed the building, fills me with revulsion. How I could have allowed myself to feel so pathetic is embarrassing. Fear feeds. Victoria's voice echoed in my mind. I glanced up from my position in the corner and noticed the interior of the elevator was darkening further. The shadows from the corners were spreading, moving dangerously closer toward me. Soon, the darkness would swallow me. I realized that the shadow grew as my fear increased. I screamed, No! The car rocked violently. And then, silence. The silence was so deep that my ears buzzed as I strained to hear anything. Push nine. Victoria's voice broke the silence. I blinked hard and strained to find the floor number panel. I reached forward and half crawled to where I believed the panel would be located. I finally felt the solid panel beneath my fingertips. And like a blind man, I brushed across the tops of the button. One button felt hot to the touch and vibrated under my flipper. I figured it must be the ninth stories button, and I pressed it hard. The lift lurched violently, as though it had been stuck for decades, and it began to rise slowly. When the car reached the ninth story, it stopped, and the doors parted slowly. I was shocked by what appeared before my eyes. The room was pristine, with shiny black and white checked tile that appeared new. The walls were covered in wood paneling that led up to intricately carved crown molding. An ornate, beautifully lit crystal chandelier hung in the center of the ceiling. This had been a ballroom with an incredible view at one time, I imagined. A door at the far end of the room opened slowly. Victoria stepped through, and I found myself wondering how she got to this floor from the second floor without the use of the lift. The stairs had to be old and unsafe, but perhaps they would serve useful in an escape. She still carried her music box in her hands. She smiled at me, then crossed the room to the windows. She beckoned for me to approach her. 
I moved toward her slowly, wondering all the while why this floor seemed new and clean while the lobby had been filthy and old and the second floor had just been dark and gloomy. Toby, look out this window and tell me what you see, Victoria said. I peered out the window, but it was hard to see because of the reflection of the chandelier in the glass. All I could make out was black. Suddenly, the chandelier's light was extinguished as though my thoughts were heard and I could see out into the forest. Rain had begun to fall and lightning flashed in the distance. I see the forest. Look down. Lightning illuminated the sky and I saw Billy. He was hanging from a second-story window by a rope that was encircling his waist. He swung about in the wind. He glimpsed up and I saw terror in his eyes. I heard Billy shriek, Help me! Aren't you going to help him? I asked Victoria. This is not for me to do. She peered at me, and I felt like shrinking. You want me to help him? I squeaked. I can't do that with these. I held up my flipper hands, and I'm scared. The chandelier blinked on again. In the distant corners of the room... I heard the same muffled moans that I heard in the elevator. The shadows grew from the corners, and the pristine room seemed to dull. Your fear and doubt brought you here, Toby, Victoria responded. And these shadows will swallow you if you allow them to do that. You have a choice to make. Will you save Billy or not? He'll be okay. A drop from the second floor won't kill him, I reasoned aloud. Look again, Victoria suggested. I peered through the rain-streaked glass, and in another flash of lightning, I saw that this side of the building had a sheer drop-off into an abyss. How could this abyss be in the forest, I thought. I had never seen it before. Where did that hole come from? And how did it get out there anyway, I asked. This was Billy's choice. He had to make the same decision about saving you. He decided to tie a rope around his waist and climb out the window. His cruelty and hatred manifested to what you see down there now, Victoria answered. I was confused. He created that abyss with his actions? I asked. Yes, and only you can save him. What do you mean only I can save him? Can't you do it? Or at least help me? It's not for me to do. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Can't he climb up? I could see that Victoria was growing impatient. No, silly. When he left the building, the window slammed down and stuck. You have to save Billy. I remember thinking that I should run. What did I care if Billy died? But then I heard the horrifying moans combined with shrieks, and I knew that I would never leave this building alive if I tried to run. If... I help Billy. Do I get to leave? I asked. If you save Billy, both of you get to leave. She answered. She then tapped her small foot and continued. And you're wasting precious time. I ran to the elevator that had been belching out a black ooze. I pressed the down button and the doors slid open, revealing more black sludge in the lift car. It pulsated and I backed away, my heart pounding. I glanced back at Victoria, and she gave me a supportive nod of her head. I mustered my courage 
and swore that I was not about to allow myself to be locked in this building until I died. I stepped forward into the elevator. The black ooze seeped back into the spaces where it had originated, and I pressed the second floor button. The lift moved methodically and slowly downward as I reached the second story after what seemed like an hour. Surely Billy has careened into the black abyss, I thought to myself. I found him still hanging by the rope outside the window. The rope's strands were beginning to unravel from his weight. The window was cracked open enough to allow the rope to reach outside. I placed my flippered hands under it and wrenched upward. The window stuck. I glanced out the window and saw there was very little ledge. One of Billy's muddy footprints indicated that he had tried to climb up, but failed to open the window. The window is stuck, just as you are, I heard Victoria say behind me. I whirled around and found her standing near the elevator. Stop being afraid of him, Toby. I took a deep breath and realized that Billy was not as tough as he seemed. He was actually quite pathetic hanging from his self-made predicament. The kids may even laugh at him now. I tried the window again, and it slid open. Billy, pull yourself up, I yelled to him. I was too small to pull him up myself. He heaved himself up the rope, but as he neared the window, the rope completely unraveled and began to break apart. Grab my hand, I screamed to him. The rope is going to break. A flash of disgust crossed his face as he glanced at my outstretched flipper mitt. But as the rope slipped, he grabbed hold with both hands. I braced my feet against the wall and heaved with everything I had, overcoming the fear that Billy's weight would pull me out the window. We tumbled to the dusty, dry-rotted floor and lay there for several minutes, our chests heaving from the exertion. I closed my eyes for a moment as I caught my breath, and when I opened them, There were stars above me, peeking through a canopy of trees. I jolted upright and glanced around, noticing that Billy was doing the same thing. Where the hell did it go? He muttered. He peered at me and simply said, You saved my life. Billy pushed himself to his feet and ran out of the forest, leaving me behind. He never bullied me again. And I was never afraid of anything again. The loud bang comes from inside the trunk of my car. It jostles me slightly since I'm leaning against it as I reminisce. I pop the trunk. Billy is inside. Duct tape seals his mouth and rope binds his hands. I hoist him out of the trunk and a flash of horror crosses his face as he takes in the fact that our building is sitting here in the forest once again. I pull a length of rope from the trunk and wind it around his waist before he can run. He falls to the ground, and I drag him behind me towards the building as he mumbles words of resistance through the tape. Victoria stands at the door. The overhead light illuminates her golden curls, bound in pigtails, that fall in ringlets about her face. Her dress is the same tattered purple one she wore the last time I saw her. Toby, she whispers simply, and nods as I pass through the door into the building. I never figured out how she knew our names. That did not really matter. I drag Billy inside the lift, and Victoria presses the number two button. 
She does not join us as we exit the elevator car. She knows what I am here to do. This is out of our hands. The building, or whatever seemed to control this world, had given Billy and me a second chance to be better. I had lived as a fearless man and corrected my deformed hands with surgery so that they were almost normal. But Billy had gone on to commit unthinkable acts. Now, the building wanted restitution. I heard rumors of his crimes months ago and took to following him. In the middle of his last disturbed outing, I knocked him out and threw him in the trunk of my car. I wasn't sure what to do, but for some reason, I cranked the ignition and turned the car toward the forest of our youth. I was only slightly surprised to see the building here. I open the window and glance into the abyss that is opened once again. Billy is struggling, but I am a large man now, and his fight is futile. He begins to whimper. I thread the rope through a large eye hook next to the window and tie a simple knot. I want to hurl this disgusting sack of excrement out the window, but I can't do it. The moans start, and the shadows grow, but I am confident they are not my manifestation. The building itself seems to live. I step aside, and a blast of foul wind pushes Billy from his feet against the window. The force is so strong that the entire window pane gives way, and Billy flies out into the night sky. The rope draws tight. I close the window. The abyss will soon collect restitution. Today's episode featured a story by Diane Student, Restitution. If you'd like more information on Diane and her work, please visit her website, Dianeverse, that's D-I-A-N-V-E-R-S-E dot com, or her other website, HistoryGoesBump.com. You can follow her on Twitter, at HistoryGoesBump, which is the Twitter home of her podcast, Dealing with History and the Paranormal, History Goes Bump. Artwork for today's show was created by Jeanette Andromeda. If you'd like more information on Jeanette and her work, please visit HorrorMade.com. And that's M-A-D-E. You can follow her on Twitter at Horror underscore Made. This episode was scored by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. You can find more work by Nico at WeTalkOfDreams.com. Today's narrator was Daniel Foytek. That's me. 
Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com forward slash S1E13. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13, coming soon to Google Play. Follow the show on Twitter at victoriaslift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash victoriaslift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitesi of We Talk of Dreams. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortic. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music director, Nico Vitesi. Art director, Stephen Matico. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production. The show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.